0: How many of you have been enjoying the Olympics get a chance to watch any of, the, uh, of those? It's just, um, I haven't been able to watch as much as I would like probably like many of you you'd like to have these two weeks off and do it. But the summer, summer, uh, we, uh, weeks of the Olympics are just awesome. They're fun, powerful. They unite our shared human experiences, you know, um, a desire to excel. We're often amazed, aren't we, at people who have dedicated their entire lives to compete and win at this one event. And, uh, I don't know, in a small way, we kind of all tap into this hope for global peace and harmony, at least for these few short weeks. We think, yeah, it is possible, and maybe there's a day coming when it will happen. I don't know about you, but I, I kind of celebrate in these weeks the, just the marvel of the human body at God's creation. What a machine that some of these bodies are, you know, and and uh, just how beautiful, actually, the, the complexity of the human body and its capacities and its uh, abilities, just just amazing. Well, this morning, as Melissa indicated, we are continuing the sermon series, The Amazing Possibilities of Prayer. And we're discovering that God, our Father, wants us to experience powerful, amazing things when we pray. For example, Jesus told his followers in Mark eleven twenty-two to 24, Have faith in God. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer model that Jesus gave his followers when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. It's found in your Bible in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to open there, open your Bible app to Matthew 6. We've noticed that it contains five specific demarcations that have to do with identity, God's kingdom, provision, relationships. And fifthly, today, we're going to discover that the concluding petition is a prayer for protection and deliverance. We've been beginning our mornings together the last weeks by praying out loud together the Lord's Prayer, slightly different tradition for the vineyard, but let's continue that this morning. Are you ready? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the prayer you gave us to pray. We thank you that you are our father. We are your sons and daughters in right standing with you because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are good. You're good all the time. You're a good father. You're a loving father, a compassionate and merciful and caring and protecting and providing father. And we thank you for uh, how our experience as your children has been so enriched, even in these weeks together, as we've as we spent time meditating and dwelling and unpacking the prayer you taught us to pray. We pray that this morning uh, that you would uh, establish your name, the blessings of your name, in our in our lives, in our church family, in our community, that your kingdom would come here in this room and next door where vineyard kids are and in our lives, Lord, this week where we work and play and live and go to school. Bring your kingdom. Put power on your word to our lives today is our prayer in your name. Amen. In the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we're instructed by Jesus to pray, don't let us yield to temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Now, you're more likely familiar with the rendering of this prayer in the King James, New King James, or the New National Version of the Bible, where Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And initially, this petition bothers many Christians because it seems to present God as an active agent in subjecting us to temptation, that he might actually somehow be leading or directing us into being tested and drawn away into sin. But we'll see this morning that actually it's not the case. It's helpful to understand that at the simplest, most basic level, this fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer is actually a desire for expression of our desire for God to protect us and deliver us. That's the simplest way to think of it. New Testament author and theologian Craig Keener says in the Bible background commentary that this line of the prayer probably more accurately would be translated Let us not sin when we are tested. I think the New Living Translation gets it right, the one we read this morning don't let us yield to temptation. And we would also be helped in discovering that the phrase deliver us from evil would more accurately be translated from the original language as deliver or rescue us from the evil one. And so Jesus is instructing us in this petition to pray for protection from being drawn away into temptation and sin and for deliverance from all the works of the enemy, the evil one in our life. Now we've already discovered when we looked at the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that Jesus always framed life in the context of two kingdoms, didn't he? He, he said there's a, 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 a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness. And we know this. I mean, how many of you would say that you've ever been exhausted, worn out, feel Maybe emotionally de- depleted or spiritually oppressed or, or, you know, maybe that you've taken a shot or that you're wounded as if you're in a war zone. Well, that's because you are. <laughs> We're in a battle. We have a real enemy. It's a real battle. Uh, and if we actually look at the words of Christ, we'll see how he framed life this way. John's gospel, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy but my purpose is to give them that is you me my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life the apostle john writes in 1 john 5:19 we know that we're children of god and the world around us is under the control of the wicked one so there are two kingdoms in conflict the kingdom of god the kingdom of light ruled by christ himself He's the ruler uh, of the whole earth. The world and all of its people belong to him. And his rule is his reign, R-E-I-G-N, or his rule on the earth. It's where God's love and mercy and truth and power prevail. We've, we've seen that. It's the rich and satisfying life of John 10.10. 10. Other translations say the abundant life or the real life. It's where the real life of God's kingdom prevails. It's what the Bible also calls the the power or the blessings of the future age to come that are breaking into this present evil world. That's the kingdom of God, contrasted with the kingdom of Satan or darkness that's ruled by uh, the devil and his invisible demons. It manifests in the world today uh, where we see the control of the evil one. It's called in the Bible this present evil age or this present age. And the thief that Jesus refers to in John 10 is also in other places in your your Bible. It's uh, referred to as the, Satan, uh, the father of lies, the deceiver, the snake, the dragon of Revelation 12, the accuser of the brethren. And Jesus describes his work here as stealing, killing, and destroying. Many times, Literally, but more metaphorically, in all the ways that the evil one, the thief, the tempter, the accuser of the brethren, the dragon, actually controls and rules our life, because this world is under the control of the evil one. This earth and its present atmosphere are the theaters of this war or this battle, and you and I, people, are the the subjects in the war. We're we're on the battlefield, as it were. In this battle, Satan is trying to draw us away into temptation and ultimately to sin. He wants to destroy our faith, erode our trust in Jesus, that Jesus is good, that he's good all the time, that he has our best interests at heart, his desire for our lives to be rich and satisfied. The enemy is trying to draw us away from that deep conviction. He wants us eventually just to give up on God and quit, give up on God's people, the church and resign to live a self-centered life for our own purpose and our own happiness. But Jesus wants us as his children protected and delivered. That's the thrust of the fifth petition. Now, Jesus prayed on another occasion in John 17, 5, actually in the, in the shadow of the cross, in the last hour of his life, he prayed, Father, I'm not asking you to take them, his followers, out of the world, but rather to keep them safe from the evil one in the world. That's, that's God's desire. His heart is, is that we be protected as His children in this present evil age. That's His heart for us as His sons and daughters. Now, if you have children or grandchildren, just think with me for a moment along this, this way. All of us, of course, were children at one time. Don't you want the very best for your kids and your grandkids? Um, that's my grandson there, actually. And I didn't tell Adam to put that picture in the slideshow, but he did. And I'm, I'm proud of it. That's Owen. Um, you know, I want the best thing for my grandkids, my kids as well. But really, my heart's much more towards my grandkids. No, 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 no. <laughs> Scratch that from the tape back there, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they listen online anymore anyway, but you know, you think about it. You want the best for your kids or your grandkids, don't you? I mean, you you want them to to be healthy, to have a sound mind, to have a healthy body. That you want them to prosper. Uh, you, you desire that they they have a heart for God, that they're you know filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit and discovering passion for His purposes for their life. You you want your kids and grandkids to be protected from harm and accident and calamity and misfortune. Don't don't we want those things naturally for the ones we love? Of course. And Jesus wants that for us. In fact, on one occasion that we've already seen in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, So, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So Here's that Jewish construction of a superlative. You know, we all identify with wanting good things for our kids. And then Jesus said, you can identify with that. How much more do I want good things for you? as my children. That's encouraging. He wants us protected and delivered and cared for and provided for and secure in the battle zone. That's why he tells us to pray this fifth petition for protection and deliverance. Now, here's the rub. In this world, Christ's children are not exempt from temptation and trials. Why? Because we live in two ages at once, the present evil age and the age to come. They overlap and are mixed together in what the Bible calls the last days, an absolutely unique time in human history. The last days that run from the inaugural coming of Christ at the incarnation, and then will conclude at his second coming when he returns to the earth again. And in between these times that the Bible calls the last days, the present evil age and the new age to come live simultaneously. We're mixed together. Glorious contradictions as we've been learning. The kingdom of God has already come in Jesus, but it's not yet all the way here, as it will be someday. So we live in the already not yet, and that's why we're not exempt from temptation and trial. In his sovereignty, God has left the enemy. Though defeated at the cross of Calvary, he's left the enemy, the thief, to to have a limited sphere of authority in this broken, corrupt, sinful, falling world, and he still can can steal, kill, and destroy until Jesus comes again. Why God has allowed that is the question that we're never answered in the Bible. We don't know. But in this overlapping of the ages, we are vulnerable to temptation and sin. We're susceptible to suffering the effects of the evil one because his kingdom is still here. But the rub is, in this sense, the outcome of the battle in our daily life is not predetermined. We're in the theater of war, we're on the battlefield with the enemy, but the outcome is not predetermined. It is not a biblical concept to think of, well, whatever will be, will be, as if God's got the whole script predetermined. If it were, there's no sense in you ever praying. Because in that sense, prayer is just therapy to make you feel better. But that's never the picture of prayer that we're learning, is it? Jesus actually wants amazing things to happen when we pray. And so he's inviting us to pray the Lord's Prayer to actually make a difference. The kingdom would come. The enemy's uh, works would be stifled, that we would be provided for, that we would be directed, that we'd be cared for in these ways. Amazing Possible thing, impossible things can happen when we pray. Things that w- would have no other way of happening can happen when we pray. Sick people can get well. Our finances, our daily bread can be provided for. Our unchurched friends and family members can actually come to know and love and serve Jesus Christ, even though they may seem a million miles away. Just this week, I had the pleasure of talking to Joanne Krigbaum. Joanne, where are you? Wave your hand. Right over here. Okay, Joanne. That's Joanne, everybody. And uh, we had a great time just connecting together. And she was able to relate to me in that story. That the story uh, seven years ago, her daughter Kelly was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. That's as serious as it gets, folks. Informed by their doctor that she wouldn't live past two years, they began to pray and receive healing prayers everywhere they went, and she miraculously was healed and is now alive quite alive and well, thank you, five years later, beyond her death sentence. Glory to God for his healing. They credit God's faithfulness to answer prayers for healing. God cared for his daughter and a family. So yeah, amazing things can happen when we pray. And Jesus desires that every day we pray for protection and deliverance. Now, in unpacking this petition in the Lord's Prayer, it might be helpful for me to clarify two things. First, that God does not tempt his children. Now, contrary to what older translations of this verse may seem to teach, lead us not into temptation, God does not actually lead his children into temptation. God's Word informs us in James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, this... you have a Bible, you can flip to James 1. We're going to read 12 to 14 or 15. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So temptation to sin never comes from God, but God does allow us to suffer temptation in the overlapping of the ages for, uh, from two sources. The temptation that you face comes from two sources: one as the text that we just discovered in James declares from our own desires now sometimes in other places, the scripture uh, refers to the Christian struggle between the flesh and the spirit uh, 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 sometimes the spirit is, uh, uh, the flesh is referred to as the sinful nature um, and this is the part of us that that has a continuity with this present evil age, the the old ways of thinking and behaving and and acting, the the ways that James calls our desires, the part of us that has continuity with, with the present evil age, the old kingdom from which we've been delivered. And we all know that our desires remain attractive and alluring, don't they? Albeit wrong, but they're attractive. So, First place that we we suffer temptation is our own stuff. Our own desires rise up and entice us away to behaviors and thoughts and actions that we know are wrong but are still, like, in there. Secondly, we can be tempted from the devil or his demons directly. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, "'I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work among you had been useless.'" You see, Satan can tempt you directly. He tempted Jesus in the wilderness directly. He tempted Ananias and Sapphira, the language of Acts 5 in the New Testament church shows that he tempted them directly. And there are occasions where uh, you just are assaulted by demonic temptation right from the devil himself. But God never sets his children up with an attempt to draw them away into sin and disobedience. Let no person say when he's tempted that God is tempting us. But he does allow us to continue to be tempted. So, first clarification, God is not in the business of drawing you away into sin. We can just park that one, you know, and settle it. Second, the second clarification that I think might be helpful is that it's not a sin to be tempted. Now, in many ways, you have no control over what comes into your mind, do you? I mean, you, you know that, right? That, that's the human experience. You ever, I mean, do you ever wonder, like, where did that thought come from? Well, they come from either our unrenewed mind or the devil himself. They're like arrows that he shoots into our, our our thinking. But to be tempted to sin is not a sin. Collapsing to temptation and sinning is a sin. But there is a difference. Just because you entertain a thought or an action that, that's contrary to the revealed will of God, in that sense you fall short of God's glorious standard... that's not a sin. The enemy can't accuse you, which he often does. He puts a thought in there. You have an ugly, sinful, less than glorifying God thought. And then he says, oh, what a slug you are, because you had that thought that came from him in the first place. Any of you had that experience? He tries to bring condemnation over the stuff that he put there in the first place. It's not a sin to be tempted. Collapsing to that temptation and then sinning is the sin. I love what we former Martin Luther once said about this issue of temptation. And I quote, It is impossible to keep the devil from shooting evil thoughts and lusts into your heart. But see to it that you do not let such arrows stick there and take root, but tear them out and throw them away. Do what one of the ancient fathers of the faith counseled long ago. Quote, I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can certainly keep it from nesting in my hair or from biting off my nose, so think of that the next time you 're tempted. God doesn't tempt, nor is it a sin to be tempted now in this section of uh, praying for protection in the lord's prayer when i'm when I 'm at this now demarcation in my prayer, um, I actually try to enlist the help of the Holy Spirit in resisting and withstanding the temptations to which I am particularly vulnerable. Now, all of us know ourselves well enough to know the, the, the chinks in our armor that the enemy can use to exploit because uh, just our weakness, our tendencies. We all have them. You know, to, to pretend as if we don't is to be unhuman. We're all vulnerable in many ways. Now, the particular vulnerabilities we have may change with the seasons of your life the circumstances of your life or your stage of growth into Christ's likeness, we would hope that the test you had as a first grader, you can now pass with proficiency as a sixth grader in God's kingdom. But then we also hope that by the time you're, you know, a maturing adult, <laughs> that that you're able to pass the test with grace that were a struggle in the sixth grade. You get it? And so the, the vulnerabilities you now have are likely very different than the ones you had maybe a year or five or 20 years ago. Some things that used to be a problem are not a problem anymore. We got new problems and new vulnerabilities. But in this part of the petition, don't let us yield to temptation, I like to think of it as Jesus's invitation to me to name those things specifically and daily. That's been the routine in the prayer, Right to pray daily and specifically. And so I just name them out, and I'll share them with you. I'm I'm, I'm not so proud that I can't tell you my vulnerabilities. For me, it's unbelief, anxiety, pride, lust, greed and covetousness, workaholism, intimidation, grumbling and complaining. There they are. They're the things that I'm vulnerable to. And so I say, God, I need help in those areas, because if I don't, I can collapse to sin. Well, what are yours? Now don't stand up and shout them out. You know, that, you just tell Jesus because he's the one that said, pray the, at this section of the prayer, pray for deliverance and, and protection in these areas. Well, what are yours? Here's the opportunity for you to enlist the help of the Lord in a real way at being protected against the temptations to which you are vulnerable. We need help. Ask for it. Now, While God does not tempt us to sin, he does test us. Historically, I think here's where the confusion at this point of the prayer has come. The word used here in Matthew 6.13 for temptation, lead us not to temptation, as, as the old translation said, is actually the same root word in the Greek language that's used other places in your Bible for test or trial. And the meaning of the word is dependent upon the circumstances that surround its use. God does not tempt, but He does test. He causes or allows circumstances that in our lives to come that will provide an opportunity for our character, our faith, our integrity, our virtue, our trustworthiness to be proven as genuine and to grow. Now, we need not think any further than the very first few chapters of the first book of the Bible to understand this concept. God blessed Adam and Eve with everything they could possibly imagine and gave them a responsibility for tending the Garden of Eden in which he had placed them, and then he orchestrated a test. He said, you can eat of anything in the garden with the exception of one tree in the middle the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you can eat of anything except that tree he created a test for their character their faith their trustworthiness their virtue to be proven now sadly we know the turn in the story don't we they yielded to the enemy's temptation that they knew how to live life better than god they ate the forbidden fruit and that launched into into the cosmos the curse on sin from which we are still suffering they failed their test. And we likely would have had we been in the same position. Many of us thought, well, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, yes, you would have, (laughs) lest we think less of Adam and Eve. And then just a few chapters later in the book of Genesis, we see that God, in chapter 22, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience, Genesis 22.1. And then if any of you are actually using the, the one-year Bible, or the, the daily Bible readings, you know that this week we discovered how God tested Hezekiah the king. We read in, in 2 Chronicles 32-31, uh, God withdrew from Hezekiah in order to test him and see what was really in his heart. Hmm, God tested Hezekiah. Now, our tests today certainly don't bear the weight of the world in the same way that Adam and Eve did but they're often a matter of whether or not we're going to reap the rich and satisfying life Jesus said was his desire for us to have. If we collapse collapse and don't successfully pass the test, we're going to live below the rich and satisfying life, the abundant life he said he wants for us to have. Now, any set of circumstances or people can constitute a test. Your finances, your health, your relationships in or out of your family, on the job, at school, in the church, issues with your significance, your need for security, your fears and anxieties, uh, your struggles from the past, your difficulties with today, the present, your hopes and dreams for a successful future, your attempts to answer God's calling on your life, decisions that you have to make, God's direction. We can be tested in any of these areas. You know, it's, are we going to obey God and His Word? Are we going to uh, reflect Christ in what we think and say and do? Are we willing to trust Jesus, that he has our best interests for, for, for life? Are we going to really fully lean into him, or are we going to lean back on our own wisdom and knowledge and understanding, uh, our own desires for happiness and, and success? I like how the Apostle James encourages us in these moments of testing. If we were to con- uh, go back to James chapter 1, we'd read this in James 1 verses 2 to 4, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So most of us, though, we don't like tests, do we? I mean, is there anybody here that likes a test? (laughs) We'll pray for you at the end of the service. Uh, no, we don't really like tests, but in the test, the, the, the Holy Spirit says that we can uh, rejoice to count it all joy, consider it an opportunity for expressing joy. Why is that? Because our endurance has a chance to grow and we can mature in Christ. And in that test, James says, if you lack wisdom, you can ask God and he'll not upbraid you. So, you know, in the middle of chaos, when your faith is being tested, um, you can say, Lord, what are you doing, and what do you want me to do, and how do you want me to act and react? And, and God says, I, I'm not going to hold that against you if you actually ask me for wisdom. And in the middle of that test, we pray the fifth petition. Lord, don't let me sin when I'm tested. Don't let me yield to any temptation in the middle of a test. You see, any test can provide you an opportunity to sin, right? God's not orchestrating the test, uh, the, the, the temptation. He may be allowing or directing the test. And in the middle of that, you can be tempted by the enemy to sin and disobey. And that's why we pray, Lord, don't let me yield to temptation. Don't let me sin when I'm tested. Pray that you don't lose heart that you're able to keep your head above water, that you abandon your faith, your willingness to believe that God is good and that His people are good. Pray that we don't collapse to anxiety and fear or or disobedience in some other fashion, that we don't act selfishly or impulsively, or that we don't act stubbornly, respond with a closed fist or a hard heart. These are the ways that we can easily become susceptible to sin in a test. I like to just pray this way. Father, help me pass the test. That's what this demarcation would, would, could be perhaps summarized as. And I know that, for instance, planning this new church has been a test of, of trust and obedience for many of us. For those of you who were part of the original launch team to, to have left your, your job and your home and the security of a life you had to, to move to a new town and start all over with nothing, that that's a test for many of you that have joined us, having started. I mean, it's a test to leave other relationships and friendships, and maybe even other churches and relationships you had there, and to join a fledgling little group that you knew little about, other than that they had a mission statement and a rehab building, and then that was it. And then, and really for all of us, to to it's a test to continue to trust God. You know, to actually lead us and empower our services and our small groups and our outreach and, and provide for us financially to, uh, and, and to find meaningful ways to serve our various communities that are represented. I mean, it's a test to moving forward. All of life is a test. And so pray that in the middle of it all, we, we don't sin, we don't collapse to whatever it is God's trying to teach us as we align ourselves with this new emerging church community. Last point I want to like to share is that in the temptation or the trial, Jesus actually desires that we be delivered from all of the works of the enemy. Whatever the kingdom of darkness is ruling and reigning in our lives, our families, the lives of those that we love, our our work in our work in our community wherever the kingdom of darkness is reigning, wherever the evil one's power and presence is felt and experienced, we can pray at this junction in the prayer for deliverance. Deliver us from the evil one. So listen closely. In this sense, it is not God's will that we suffer from sin or sickness or disease or accident Or calamity or failure or loss or oppression or injustice or poverty or lack or any such expression of the enemy's kingdom. Because if it were God's will, then for us to obey Jesus' instruction is to pray against the will of God. He's telling us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. And so wherever those expressions are manifest in our life, we can pray for God's kingdom to break through That's the prayer Jesus wants us to pray. Pray for deliverance. Pray for protection. We can ask with confidence for the Lord to fulfill his promises of protection and deliverance. Now, in my Lord's Prayer Guide notebook, uh, I've I've collected now over the years a a number of really powerful and beautiful promises that mean a lot to me about God's protection. And so I might pray uh, at this point in the Lord's Prayer, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He'll not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. And so I pray that prayer knowing, God, I can't with integrity say it's just too much because you tell me right there, it's not too much, and that you'll provide every time I'm tempted a way out. So show me the way out. Or I'll pray James 4, 7, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. I love that because I know that when I'm tempted, I just need to press in farther towards Jesus because when I do, he draws closer to me. Or it might be the 23rd Psalm, that beautiful, powerful poem where where David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Or Psalm 34, where he said, Many are the troubles, trials, and afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. Or one of my favorite that I'd like to read for you in closing today, the 91st Psalm. If you need a powerful promise to pray for the Lord's protection and deliverance from the evil one in your life, here it is, Psalm 91. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I will declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I will trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. He'll cover you with his feathers. He'll shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Don't be afraid of the terrors of the night or the arrow that flies in the day, nor dread the disease that stalks in darkness or the disaster that strikes at midday. For a thousand fall at your side. And 10,000 are dying around you. Those evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. But if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home. He'll order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You'll crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I'll reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Lord, we thank you for your powerful promises of protection and deliverance. And I pray, God, that you'd put power on, on those promises to every one of us that's here today and those that we love. Put power on them, Lord, to our life, that we'd, we'd be delivered from the evil one, that we'd be able to withstand the temptations to which we're particularly vulnerable, and that we would pass the test with flying colors. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us to pray this prayer, that it ends on a grand exclamation point of your faithfulness as our provider, protector, and deliverer. And Lord, now as we receive the offering and as we proceed to worship, may these tokens be just representative that, that we want our life to count for you, our whole life to count for you. We give money that we've worked hard to earn in the offering. In many ways, it makes no sense to give it away, but it's a, it's a token that says, Lord, I trust you enough that I give you the first fruits of my life and the lifting of our hearts and hands in song the same way. Receive them, Lord, for what they are in your name. Amen.